This gospel reading is fairly familiar, I think. This is Luke's version, which Matthew's is called the Sermon on the Mount. Luke's is referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. What happens right before this, the night before, is Jesus goes up on a mountain and he spends the night in prayer. He spends the night drawing close to God. And then that morning, he looks out at all of his disciples and he calls the 12 that he has chosen to be his apostles, to be his core group of friends who are going to work, learn, and work alongside him. And amidst this 12, there's one whom he probably knew would betray him. And then this crowd of people gathers around. So he has his chosen apostles. He has the larger group of disciples who have been following him. And this whole other crowd of people that have traveled from Judea and Jerusalem all the way to some of the coastal cities, they've gathered. And they are seeking to be close to him. They are seeking to touch him. They are seeking healing. One of the translations that I looked at talks about Jesus being this like surge of energy as everybody is rushing in towards him to grasp hold, to find what they need, to experience healing and wholeness. And it is in this space that he offers this teaching, which is kind of tough, I think, especially to those of us who are sitting in a church in Marin in California in the United States. We live in great relative prosperity and privilege. Jesus does not mince words here. Blessed are the poor, those who've lost it all. Blessed are the hungry, Blessed are those who weep, who carry deep sadness. Blessed are those who are hated. It's not how my mind would depict blessing. And then he goes on to say, Woe to those of you who are rich, who have it made. Woe to those of you who are full, who are satisfied with yourself. Woe to those of you who are laughing, who maybe haven't experienced suffering. Woe to those of you who are approved, popular, who are spoken well of. In other ways, in the ways Jesus reaches out in healing, in the ways Jesus draws us to himself, I don't think that he is suggesting that we want to try to be poor or hungry or sad or hated. I think he is looking out at this crowd of people and just offering a statement of what is. I think he is recognizing and seeing that there are a variety of different people that are all holding a variety of different realities. And then he goes on to invite this crowd to love their enemies. That famous line about offering the other cheek when you've been hit first, and about offering even the shirt off your body when somebody takes your cloak. And I just, 
as a parenthesis, want to say that that text is, has been used um, as a foundation for people putting up with abusive situations. And that's not what Jesus was doing here. It was actually a really radical way of nonviolent resistance. But that's a sermon for another day. Happy to talk about that after if you want. What makes someone a saint? A saint is someone who lives their life in such a way, the way they live reveals God's vision, reveals God's love. There are famous saints in the past that we celebrate and honor. There are saints sitting in this room today, and there are saints that have yet to come. In our baptismal liturgy, we make many promises, or promises are made on our behalf by our parents and our godparents. But two always, always resonate within me, and I think, what potential we have in these promises we make in our faith. We promise that we will seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving our neighbor as ourselves just like Jesus is inviting in this Sermon on the Plain. We also promise that we will strive for justice and peace among all people, respecting the dignity of every human being. These resonate with me, and I know I talk about them a fair amount, so you've probably heard me say this before. Every time I get to those words, I think, what would the world be like if Christians, if People practicing this faith in Christ were known for these things. If we were known for loving everyone, if we were known for seeking justice, for seeking peace, for seeking to respect the dignity of every human being. One of my favorite saints is Saint Macrina. Saint Macrina the Younger, she was named after her grandmother, the Elder. And I first discovered St. Macrina when I was learning about the theological ideas behind the, the uh, doctrine of the Trinity, this, this space where, like, God, we understand God as one God, but in three persons. How does that work? Well, turns out two of Macrina's younger brothers had some things to say. They developed this idea that I was very drawn to. They talk about how these, the Trinity moves together in, a, like, a divine dance, and growing up dancing, that resonated for me. So I learned about the Cappadocian fathers and what they had to say. And then I learned more about their story and realized they had an older sister. Macrina, she lived, she was born in like the year 327 or something like that in the area that we would now refer to as Turkey. And when she was of age, she was betrothed. But her husband, her, her fiancé, died before they were married. And she chose to, instead of marrying again, to devote herself in some ways to this eternal relationship that she was going to step into. She is known for her purity and for the commitment she made that way. But her brothers talk about her and the way she taught them, the way that she helped them learn the scriptures, learn how to live a faithful life the way that she revealed how to live a life that reveals God's love, God's vision. 
I don't wonder if maybe we should be crediting St. Macrina the Younger with some of the ideas of her brothers. You know, when you peel back the layers of his story and you wonder at the bits of information that may be missing. She is one of my favorite saints, and she went on to found a monastic community so, so long ago. There are also plenty of saints that are my favorite whose names I don't know. In the early days of the pandemic, I live in, um, in San Francisco, and in the early days of the pandemic, um, Glide Memorial Church, which many of you may be familiar with, it's in the Tenderloin, has tremendous ministry to the people of the Tenderloin. And they offer meals. Their dining room is open. And they had to shut down in the beginning of the pandemic. But they realized how important their work was, and so they transitioned and were offering to-go breakfasts, hot to-go breakfasts. And I got to go and help volunteer a few times in the early days of pandemic on the streets of the Tenderloin and witness the ways in which the staff and the volunteers of Glide are seeking Christ in every person and are striving for justice and peace to respect the dignity of every human being. There are plenty of saints, living, saints who have gone on before, and saints who have yet to come. So back to our scripture, back to these lists of blessings and woes. Another way to look at the blessings here is to use the word congratulations. Almost like Jesus was saying, congratulations to those of you who have lost it all, to those of you who are hungry and sad and hated. Perhaps because there's nothing else that you can lose, and so you are ready to receive the fullness of God's love and of God's grace. And yet, for those of us who have it all, who are full and satisfied and popular and spoken well of, maybe it takes a little bit different work to create space so that we too can receive that abundant gift of God's love, of God's grace. Debbie Thomas, in her reflection on this scripture, writes, Perhaps our task is to resist our own defensiveness. She talks about the invitation for us to experience our vulnerability. There's room for all of us, all the saints in God's kingdom, and we are all connected to each other. I wonder what... I can offer what we can offer so that everyone has enough. I wonder what we can offer so that everyone has what they need. I wonder what we can give so that we too will continue to reveal God's love in the world. I'm going to close with a quote that Brene Brown offers. She's um, done a lot of work in the world of shame and vulnerability and courageous living. And she says this about vulnerability. 
Vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, creativity. It is the source of hope, of accountability, of authenticity. Jesus' gift of healing, the way he was sharing his energy and his teaching, it is for everyone. And we have the courage to lean into those spaces in which we are called.